0: started. Father, we come, we're thankful for tonight. We're thankful uh, for the the opportunity to come and to study your word. I pray tonight as we study it uh, that you would speak to us, that you would lead us, that you would train us, uh, that you would grow us. I pray for all of our classes meeting tonight. I pray that you bless them, use them, uh, that you'd be known through them. And again I pray that you're pleased and you're glorified in all the things that we do tonight. We we tell you we love you and we praise you. We're thankful Uh, for our church, we're thankful for fellowship, we're thankful for the food, the meal that we had, and now we're thankful for this time uh, to study your word tonight. We give it to you, and I pray in Christ's name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight we are moving along in our Bible study. Uh, We have come all the way through the Old Testament, through uh, now into the New Testament, the birth of Christ, the baptism and temptation of Christ. Uh, We are now moving into a section looking at Uh, the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, Tonight, this is our 72nd lesson, if you can believe that. It is entitled, Looking for Light in the Dark of Night. Looking for Light in the Dark of Night. It is a very familiar story, uh, I believe, to most of us. As we move through it, uh, there are interesting things that maybe we haven't focused on before, maybe we've missed before, uh, but it is a very profound story, a deep story, uh, really an awesome story for us to study tonight. Our key verses tonight are John chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. I'm going to go ahead and read all of those verses, and then we'll come back and move through them piece by piece. I like to move through them all at one time with you just listening. So John chapter 3, beginning in the first verse, it says this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born Can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we've seen and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you heavenly, earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's our set of verses that we're going to start off with, that we're going to look at tonight. Our key point, if you have your worksheet tonight, says this. As Jesus proclaims his identity as the Messiah, that's the process he's in as he's teaching, he's revealing who he is. As Jesus proclaims his identity as the Messiah, a Jewish leader wrestles with what the gospel truly means. Uh, As is gonna now be the norm, the truth of Jesus turns the religious world upside down. Now, in at least uh, five, six, seven, eight different ways, This is absolutely not what they expected the Messiah would be. They thought he would be a political leader. They thought he would be a military leader. They thought he would be uh, some great uh, king with royal things and all the attachments of that. And so what he comes as uh, is absolutely not what they expected. And they're finding that out over and over. That's going to be an issue for them. What do you do with the claims of Jesus? That is a conundrum that they were having to think about, having to deal with, but that's still an issue today. Jesus says these things of himself, these are his claims, what do you do with those claims? Well in our account tonight there's a prominent Jewish leader and he's having to consider what it means that this guy from Nazareth is the Messiah. Now think about that. They've been waiting for the Christ, for the Messiah. They've been hoping in him. Uh, They have all these ideas about him. And now this guy comes into Jerusalem and says, I'm that guy. And they say, well, he's from from Nazareth. His dad is a carpenter. And so you have this guy saying, making that claim, and then you have this religious leader that's having to sort that out, trying to to figure that out. Um, It's interesting, as we move through the gospel accounts, uh, that there are different responses to Christ. Uh, the disciples dropped everything and followed him. Uh, the disciples heard John the Baptist say, this is, this is the one, and they, they believed. Uh, others hear, and they fight against it. They take up arms against him. They want him killed. And then there's some like this guy, Nicodemus, who are somewhere in the middle trying to sort it out. So scripture says this. Well, how does this make sense? And they're really trying to sort it out, figure out who Jesus is according to the claims that he's making. So that's where we're at uh, moving into this account. All right, we're going to go verse by verse. Uh, Starting in the verse first, says this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Uh, A Pharisee was a certain sect of the Jews. Uh, They had different sects, Uh, this particular sect, it's interesting to me, uh, they did not exist at the end of the Old Testament. When the Old Testament closes, they did not exist. Somewhere in the 400 years between the closing of the Old Testament and these first century folks, uh, they show up on the scene, uh, they hold to the idea that the way to please God is by keeping the law. And so over this time, uh, there's not a prophet speaking, they have the word of God and they go back and say, well, the way to please God is to keep these commandments, to do these things. Uh, they have a zeal for the law. They're excited about this system uh, that will keep all the laws and, and that God will, will, reward, will reward that. Um, over those years, they had added new laws to help them keep the old laws. And so they had a bunch of oral laws that, that they would write down, but, but that Would help them. Well, if we're not supposed to do this, well, if we won't do these things, that'll make sure we don't even get close to doing that thing. So they had added laws to help them keep the laws. Well, over 400 years, they had added laws to the added laws to make sure that they kept the laws. And so they became a very legalistic set of folks. They had a zeal uh, for the law, they had all these new demands. Uh, that should be followed by people that wanted to show their love for God. And so if you wanted to honor God, if you wanted to follow God, you will keep these sets of rules. Now, the interesting thing is as they put that system in, uh, they kind of become the gatekeepers for the system. Uh, Who's going to see if you're keeping the law? Who's going to tell you if you're not keeping the law? Uh, And so they became really the go-to people in the system. They became really political leaders, community leaders, Uh, people that you would go to if you were going to subscribe to this system. They were were a big deal. Notice here in the first verse, it says that he was a Pharisee, but it also says he was a ruler of the Jews. Now, this means in addition to being a Pharisee, uh, he was also a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the ruling council there in Jerusalem. And so he's not just a Pharisee, he is a Pharisee, but he's also on the ruling council there in Jerusalem. There's about 70-something guys on this. And so if you're to travel to Jerusalem, he is one of the main guys in the city. He's one of the guys that people look to. Uh, He's got clout. He's got respect. Uh, He is the leader uh, in the positions that he holds. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him, All right? In this account, we're told that Nicodemus sought out and he found Jesus at night. Now, that's, that's what the Bible says. Here's what I was always taught, and it may be true, but this is what I was always taught. He couldn't risk his position by being seen with such a controversial man as Christ, as Jesus, and so he goes at night. And maybe you heard that, but that's what I was taught. Well, it's just too risky. He's ashamed to talk to him, and so he goes at night. He doesn't want anybody to know. Um, That could be true, but it doesn't say that's true. I think it's interesting when you read the account, it doesn't say why he went at night. Um, I think from the context that it says he has heard of the signs of Jesus, he's heard of the talk of Jesus, and I, I'm, just, I'm just speculating as much as they are, I think maybe hearing of Jesus, that he doesn't want to wait till the next day to find out who he is. There's a guy in town that they say is the Messiah, and there's the guy, and that's him right there. And we've seen these miracles that he is doing, and so to me, I think he says, I want to go right now. I'm not going to sleep tonight thinking the Messiah is in our town, in in, in the city. And so I think there's an urgency that drives him there. I'm just speculating. It doesn't say why he goes at night, Uh, just as much as they are when they they taught us that he went because he was ashamed to see him in the daylight. I think maybe here's an urgency uh, to see who he is drives him there in the middle of the night. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Verse three, Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let me read verse four. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? All right, so he meets Jesus. He says, we we figure you're a great teacher, a miracle worker. We see that. And then Jesus starts off uh, with this profound statement, really, if you think about it, kind of a a radical statement that Nicodemus can't understand. Nicodemus is is a person of the Bible, the Word of God. He's a person of the law. He knows it. And yet he can't understand it. Um, to Nicodemus, the way to please God and have fellowship with God is to keep his commands. In fact, that's what Nicodemus teaches. That's what Nicodemus does. He goes around and says, if you want to please God, keep his commands. And so now he hears the route to being in the kingdom, uh, means that you must be born again. And so it's, it's gotta be a mind boggling statement. He can't understand it, uh, Hey, if we're going to please God, we're going to do these things. And Jesus says, no, if you're going to to go to the kingdom and be in a relationship with God, it's going to be by being born again. All right, I I had a question right there. I just wanted to think about it. Nicodemus thought the way to please God is by doing things. Uh, We would call that a works-based salvation, which means you have to do things to be saved. You have to do things to please God or to be accepted by God. I want you to think about this. All other religious systems are based on a works-based salvation. Uh, The the Mormon church, uh, Islam, it's a set of scales, and you got to do enough things that Allah is pleased with you. Uh, Hinduism, you got to do enough things that you somehow get to nirvana. uh, The New Age, a movement. You got to do these things that somehow you, you you make it to this particular state. All other religious systems are works based. Do these things, and maybe somehow God will accept you and let you in. Here's a question: Why do you think people seem to like a works based salvation? Um, if if all other systems are, are go that way, why are people quick to embrace that? And I thought about that. Number one is is we feel like we can earn something. Number two, maybe it's pride. I'll do it. I don't need anybody's help. I'll do it. Ego, pride. Um, Maybe it's a a natural rejection of grace that I'm not worthy, and so I'll I'll settle the score myself. For some reason, people like to um, embrace a work-based salvation. Even in our circles, folks will say, well, I'm saved But, boy, I need to keep up these things to make sure that God's still pleased. Uh, It's not a works-based salvation. Verses 5 through 8. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Uh, Jesus has said an amazing thing. Uh, you enter into the kingdom of God by being born again. Nicodemus is saying, well, I don't, I don't really understand that. And so Jesus just keeps on, and it gets even even uh, crazier probably in Nicodemus' eye. Um, but the, the truth that he's telling them is this. It seems like an absurd statement. But Jesus says you must be born of water and the spirit to enter God's kingdom. Jesus is talking about here a spiritual birth. Uh, You you have to be born again. You have to have a spiritual birth. Uh, The physical attempts at keeping the law, doing the things that you can do in your flesh are not gonna save you. They're gonna prove impossible. Uh, Let me me explain that. I I don't know why they were so comfortable with that system because here's what the system really says. You want to please God, don't sin. And I don't know anybody that says, okay, I got that. Uh, well, what happens tomorrow when you sin? And what happens Thursday when you sin? In fact, it, you know, there were some of those guys, the, the rich young ruler says, well, I've kept all the law. Uh, well, then let's do this. You want to please God, don't sin and never have sinned. Well, I've already blown that. I can't do that. What you can do in your flesh is not going to earn your salvation. There's not a set of, of rules that you can follow and master to be saved. And so he's telling him to be saved, uh, you need a spiritual rebirth. Uh, the spiritual life is empowered by God. It is, it is given in the grace of God. When a person puts their faith in Jesus, we're made new in Christ, and we have spiritual life given to us. That is a complete change of paradigm for Nicodemus to think about. Um, For him, it's done in the flesh. Uh, For for what Jesus says, there's no way to do it in the flesh. We have to be born of the spirit. We have to be reborn. Salvation is not earned, but it's given by God. It is by God's grace. It is through the work of Christ given to us. And so it's not earned. So he just keeps on with that picture. Uh, It is a spiritual life. Uh, It is a spiritual rebirth. There's nothing you can do in your physical skin that's going to give you salvation. All right, verses 9 through 12. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? He's hearing really crazy language, born again. He's hearing something completely opposite of what he's been teaching and holding. And so he's just flabbergasted. He says, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In those verses, they continue the conversation Jesus points out the misapplication that the Pharisees had made of Scripture. Here's the thing, Scripture was always pointing to Jesus. From Genesis, we know all the way to the book of Revelation, uh, all of the Old Testament Scripture, all of the work of the prophets, all of Scripture's pointing to Jesus. And so he says, you've taken the Scripture and thought that keeping the law brought salvation. When actually, you of all people, uh, you study the Bible, you've read God's word, you're a teacher of the law. That's what he says. How do you, a teacher of the law, not see this? Uh, It was always about Jesus. As people that that claim to love God's word, they missed uh, the leading of God's word, which was pointing to Jesus. Here's something to think about as we go through the gospel accounts. The people that should have received Christ are the ones that rejected Christ. Um, Strangers in in all these cities that Paul's going to go to, they've got pagan gods. They've got all this other understanding. These Jewish leaders, they had been hearing of the scripture. They had been hearing of a Messiah uh, that would take the sins of the world. They've been hearing of a Messiah that would be born in Bethlehem, come out of Egypt. They've been hearing the scripture of all people. Uh, They should have known the law was a tutor to point them to Christ and yet the ones that should have received it are the ones that miss it. He's pointing out where they had gone wrong and not seeing where Scripture carried them, but instead making their salvation based upon keeping the law. Verses 13 through 15. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so... Must the Son of Man be lifted up, verse 15, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. All right. These verses, there's now a twist. They meet in the middle of the night. Nicodemus is trying to figure out who he is. Jesus talks in these weird words about being born again, being born of the Spirit. Nicodemus does not understand. But starting right here, there starts to be a turning where Jesus is going to make it plain, where Jesus is going to explain it to him. Instead of shaming him or condemning him, which he could have done, but you know, Christ never does that, he now turns the conversation uh, to reveal who, who Jesus is, the good news uh, of, of, of Christ. The name, the Son of Man, that was a name for the Messiah. The Jewish people would have known that very easily, Nicodemus would have known that very easily. So he's talking about the Son of Man, the Messiah. Uh, The story of Moses and the serpent uh, would have also been uh, an explanation. We're going to see that in a second, that the Jewish people would have recognized and that Nicodemus would have recognized. So now he's going to start to explain who Jesus is, and he ties those two examples together. The Son of Man, that is the Messiah. Uh, The one that would look to this serpent, um, that is an account that they would have recognized as well. All right, I want to to talk about that account for a second. In Numbers chapter 21, I'm going to read it here in a second. Remember the the people had fallen into sin. As a judgment for their sin, God sent snakes, poisonous serpents into the camp. They were being bitten by the poisonous snakes. They were dying once they were bitten. So the punishment for sin was death. See the picture here. Uh, they have no remedy. What are we going to do? They start to cry out. We wish we'd never sinned, but we have. What are we going to do? And so he tells Moses take a, a serpent, fashion it, put it on a stick. It says a standard. Hold it up. And if you will look to that, you'll be saved even if you're bitten by the snake. Uh, there, there's so much symbolism right there. Uh, we have sinned. We're dying because of our sin. We need a remedy. We have no remedy. But if you believe that you can look up here and be saved, and if you'll look up here, you'll be saved. Let me read the verses to you. All right, let me start in verse six. Numbers 21, verse six. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Hey, they admit they're sinners because we've spoken against the Lord and you intercede with the Lord, be a go-between that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, a pole, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. All right, so now we're starting to see who Jesus is. We're starting to see why he came. He ties the two examples together in a picture that a Jewish person, especially Nicodemus, would have understood. The lifting up. Uh, Lift up the snake. If you look up there and see the snake, the serpent, uh, that's foreshadowing the events of the crucifixion. Uh, We're going to see that where Jesus is going to be lifted up on the cross of Calvary. All right, at this point, the difference in the Pharisees' system uh, of doing things to perhaps secure salvation is now clearly in contrast with God's gracious system of salvation by faith. Now, I want to show you this. Right here, there's a line. They thought it was by works. They thought it was by keeping the law. Jesus has said these things. Um, maybe Nicodemus is starting to understand. He's starting to think about that. But starting right here, it starts to be very clear. It's by belief. It's by belief. It's by belief. Start to listen to the repetitive use of whoever believes. Whoever believes. Uh, already at the end of verse 15, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. And so start to listen for those words. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He's just come to the the story of the serpent. He's just talked about the role of, of the son of man, the Christ. And I believe now he just says, okay, let's make it plain. You're not understanding Well, let me explain it to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. As I thought about that this week, imagine Nicodemus as he hears that uttered for the very first time. We've heard that a million times. We memorized that as kids. It's written in the end zone of football games. We've heard that. But can you imagine the first time he hears For God so loved the world. He's the first person to ever hear that. Jesus is talking to him. That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Imagine the truths of God that are being made known in this one verse. Nicodemus is thinking, well, God's a taskmaster. Nicodemus is thinking, well, he's hard and he's judging us, keeping these set of rules. And then all of a sudden this verse comes along and it's revealing who God truly is. All right, think about this from that one verse God loves. God loves. I don't, I don't know if that was even on Nicodemus' radar. I don't know if people today see that. God loves. God is gracious. Uh, just like He provided a way for Moses, there's a way here for, for sinners. Look to Christ and you'll be saved. Well, what if you don't keep all these rules? Look to Christ and you'll be saved. Here's the next thing we see salvation is in Jesus. It's very plain in that verse. If you're going to be saved, there is a way to be saved, but there's only one way to be saved, and it's in Jesus. Here's another thing we see in that verse. God's salvation is open to all who would believe. God loves. God is gracious. Salvation is in Jesus. But here's what we see. Anybody who would look to Jesus will be saved, can be saved. Now, they're thinking it's just for the Jews. It's not just for the Jews. They're thinking, well, it's just for certain people parts of the Jewish nation, those that are able to to, to impress God with these laws. Uh, In this verse, it's open to all people. Any person who would look to Christ can be saved. God is gracious, God is kind, salvation is in Jesus. All in that one verse. All right, verse 17. Verse 16 again. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17 For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. We kind of see that as old hat. That's that's big information for Nicodemus. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through him. Think about that just that one statement in verse 17. Why does Christ come? Luke 19.10 is seeking to save that which is lost. Why does Christ come? To save those without a remedy. To save those who need a savior. Again, this verse tells us Jesus comes to save the world. He desires that people will be saved. He desires that rebellious people would not perish. And so, you know what, they're they're judged already, but he has sent Jesus to, as their remedy, as their answer, as their hope. Jesus come to crush people, no. Jesus come to say, well, these folks, whatever, we're gonna crush them, no. He came that people could be saved. Listen to the words again. For God did not send the Son in the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through him, verse 18. He who believes, there it is again, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe, there it is again, has been judged already because he has not believed, there it is again, in the name of the only begotten Son of God. All right, think about this. It's dark, Nicodemus shows up, he says, we see you're a great prophet probably, uh, we're wondering who you are. Jesus starts talking about you gotta be born again. Nicodemus says, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, you gotta be born by spirit and water. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, well, you've had the word of God. You shouldn't know what I'm talking about. And then he starts saying, son of man, here's the Messiah. Just like Moses uh, and the serpent, there was a remedy for sinners. Guess what? There's a remedy for sinners now. And then he just gets personal in verse 16. For God so loved the world, this begotten son, this Messiah is the answer for sinners. At the end of the 18th verse, I don't think there could be any doubt what Jesus means. And so the first part of that, you're like, well, that's kind of ambiguous. By the time you get to the 18th verse, it's clear. Jesus is the Savior. Salvation is in him. God is loving and gracious, and he sends a Savior. It's not going to be in duties, not going to be in religious activities, not going to be in some membership of the church. Um, It is going to be by faith in Christ. Notice the word believe, believe, believe. It's very clear how we save by belief in Jesus. I think by the 18th verse, it's very plain, it's been, it's been laid out very plainly. All right, so I think about this. So the meeting is over. I don't know how long that takes. I don't know if that takes an hour. I don't know if it takes 30 minutes. Uh, the meeting is over, and, and Nicodemus goes back somewhere into the dark where he came from. He now has to decide, do I believe? And so he's got this, the, the format laid out. He's got the truth laid out. I imagine his brain is going back and forth between Old Testament and Scripture and, and what he's just heard. And so now he's got to decide, what do I believe? He goes back in the dark, don't know if he sleeps, gets up next day. It's a new day. Um, he stays on that Jewish ruling council. Um, later, he'll be sitting on it when they start to make decisions about what are we going to do about this guy. Uh, he's he's going to be there for that. He's on that council. Um I believe, to me, very clearly, when we get to the end of the gospel accounts, um, he's one of the guys that brings the spices when they pull Jesus off the cross uh, that wraps him up, that puts him, in, um, puts him in the borrowed grave. Joseph of Arimathea would have also been on the ruling council. Uh, he's, he's there with Nicodemus. And so, to me, that he comes, that he's part of that, I believe he recognizes who Christ is. I believe he recognized him as the savior and I believe he received him in faith. Um, all of that to say this, third chapter into John, just getting started in the early ministry of Jesus, we see very clip, clearly the call of our gospel is believe in Jesus Christ as your savior. Uh, no more system of works, no more trying to impress people, no more status of doing things The very clear call of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. If you're a sinner, you need a Savior. If you'll trust in Jesus, you will be saved. Simple as that. Plain as that. How awesome that it's that plain that early. The call of Scripture is to believe. One of the the things, and this is how I'll wrap it up, one of the things that's um, very pointed in what, what I do and what we do as believers And what we should be doing as a church is this. Why do we exist? Uh, Good things, good activities for meatloaf, all this stuff. Uh, We actually exist to draw people to believe in Christ, to point people to the truth of Christ, to call them to believe in Christ. The call of scripture, the call of Jesus, therefore the call of a New Testament church. Believe in Jesus and be saved. Believe in Jesus and be saved. Glad you're here tonight. I'm going to lead some word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. All right, let's pray. During father we come, we're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for a gracious God, for a loving God, for a kind Savior, for a Savior that goes to the cross to pay for our sin. is paid for it right now, and that offers us forgiveness, righteousness, restoration by faith in Him. Lord, I pray for anybody that doesn't, hasn't made that decision, who hasn't evaluated as Nicodemus did. Uh, that tonight in the hearing of this truth, and whether it's in our our, our little kid classes, our bigger kid classes, our youth, uh, I pray in this, in this class, others as well, that if there's somebody that hasn't trusted you, that they would see the call of Scripture, the testimony of Scripture, the call of Jesus is to trust and believe. And I pray that that's the fruit of tonight. Lord, I pray that we've been encouraged tonight. I pray that we've been reminded tonight and I pray as we leave and as we go back to the rest of the week, uh, that we will be people to do the same thing, to call people to trust in Jesus for their Savior, for their salvation. Lord, and we're thankful for tonight. We praise you. We, we, we bless you. We tell you we love you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.